Welcome to the new podcast for WGTS 91.9's Gateway Fellowship, a place that is about inspiring hope. You can find out more about us and hear more messages at MyGatewayFellowship.com. There are two times in a year when the world's paying attention. One is during Christmas. I mean, yeah, they're thinking about Christmas trees and Christmas presents and how am I going to do it? But you know what? It's also time when Jesus comes up. And more people in society are open to hearing his name in December. The second time in a year is during Easter. Where more folks, although the Easter Bunny's busy and it's a lot of fun with the kids, there's something powerful about being able to talk about Jesus. There is no name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to his presence. Father in heaven, take us there. Sir, we would see Jesus. We lay our humanity aside and we ask you to do a divine thing. Through the foolishness of preaching, show us your son. In his name we ask. Amen. Fear came in at the beginning, the Garden of Eden. God created man and woman in his image. And one day, the woman was deceived, and she ate of the forbidden fruit. That's the one kind of sin. Folks who are deceived, who didn't know, they fell into it. And then her husband, Adam, who couldn't imagine life without her, chose freely to sin so he wouldn't have to live without his woman. So that's the other kind of sin we have today. Folks who choose to sin and folks who are deceived. But it had one result, fear. God came to the garden as he did every day to commune with his creation. And they hid from, them, from him. They were naked. They, they, they made clothes out of fig leaves. It's not a joke. They really did stitch stuff together. And when God said, why, why are you hiding? Adam said, we were afraid for our nakedness. And God said, who told you you were naked? You see, when God makes people in his image, he doesn't make junk. Don't ever forget that. We are made in his image. We look like him. Look around. He looks good, huh? God is gorgeous. Look at him. Just grab a mirror, somebody. We are made in his image. How many have been to Smithsonian Museums? Okay, have you been to the art museum? I'm, I'm an artist, I... I went to see Rembrandt's work up close. And as I was up this close to the garden, uh, Steve, please step back. Uh, your breath carries oils. It'll ruin the paint. It's 800-year-old paint. I'm into masterpieces, the works of the masters. Once you get up close to a Rembrandt and you realize there are six layers of paint. How did this man do that? Six layers to create a glassy, glossy feeling in a portrait that's hundreds of years old. How do these people do it? Because see, only through a master can you understand what a masterpiece is. You see, the master reflects brilliance. You, uh, I, you, you hear about this monkey that did all these... Ma- no, 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 no. That was just cute. It was, you know, the monkey painted them and folks liked them. But they're not masterpieces. They're monkey pieces. 
To really have a masterpiece requires a master. And there are people who paint. There are people who paint. There, you, you cannot describe a masterpiece. You can only experience it. See, that's what God creates. He creates the masterwork. He made all kinds of beautiful things. But when it came time to make humanity, he made humans in his own image. You and I are a masterpiece. Mm-mm-mm. God does not. Don't ever say, I am nothing. Liar. You're everything. That liar is how my brother and sister eat. Liar. Pants on fire. That's what I mean, okay? The joyful liar. I'm not trying to accuse you, make you feel bad. I went to service and he made me feel bad. You see, to be a masterpiece means that the master himself made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is beautiful. Just look around. But as we saw, fear came in. A robbery took place in Eden. The devil came in and he claimed us. They're mine now. And of course, had we banished from the Garden of Eden, you cannot be sinning and eat from the tree of life and drink of the water of life. It's impossible. It's incompatible. Sin cannot be allowed to live forever. So God, in his mercy, had to escort them out of the Garden of Eden. And an angel with a sword stood at the entrance. What's it going to be like when, when Adam gets back to heaven and tends to the very roses he once tended to? Because nothing dies in the Garden of Eden. You see, the river of life and the tree of life are in there. So now Adam and Eve had to leave the masterpieces were stolen and the devil declared victory they're mine i took them fair and square they chose to be lost and you know i can just imagine the choir of heaven that sings such powerful notes what happened when adam and eve fell there was silence in heaven the choir could not sing for glory when the masterpieces were stolen. You know, these paintings are called priceless. Why? Every time you fix a figure on one, it's worth more. There's one Picasso that was worth $84 million. And there were a couple other Monets that were worth 38 and $48 million respectively. And they were stolen from a museum in Paris. And folks took them. Now, what, what are you going to do with this stolen works of art that an entire government is looking for you? You can't throw a yard sale. You can't just sell it to anybody who, because people have the money. There are people who pay a billion dollars for the right masterpiece. But where could they ever display it? You get caught. It's, it's being sought. A stolen masterpiece. Entire governments are involved to find them. It's kind of like uh, a Stradivarius violin. Governments own those. There's four of, there's a violin, a cello, and two violas and Stradivarius at the Smithsonian if you have such a burden to go and ooh and ah and drool on the floor in front of the display case, like I did. I, I took my own Kleenex and cleaned after myself. When you look at a masterpiece, you cannot explain what you're experiencing. It's beyond surreal. We were stolen, but God had a plan. 
He was not about to let his masterpieces be. You see, kidnapping is back again. I got friends in Mexico and Central America. One lady, a woman who worked here, went home to Guatemala with the money she'd earned here, bought her property and a house, and the banker was in with the cops, was in with the thugs in town. They know how much cash she came back with. She was immediately uh, kidnapped. Family hasn't heard from Mama in over six months. She's 67 years old. What good is she to anybody? They want the $300,000 that she had when she went down there. Money's already spent on the property. And the great fear is that they'll never see their mama again. This is very common. There are countries I don't go to anymore because I, I, don't, I don't want to disappear like that either. You don't pay up, they send an ear, a finger, and they just keep doing it. It's a, there's a horror about uh, kidnapping that's come back. Remember, it used to be a big deal in the United States. FBI kind of changed and redefined that whole reality. But I'm telling you right now, masterpieces being grabbed is not a new thing. And when the devil took us, God had a plan. He's going to buy us back. He's going to pay a ransom to get his masterpieces back. He's not going to sit around and say, I lost them. That's it. I'm never going to see them again. So what did God do? He's confronting our fears. He sent his only son and his own received him not. Didn't even know who he was because we're, we're, we're waiting for a military general when the son of God showed up. It's amazing when truth comes, you could be looking the wrong direction. And on an Easter weekend, there's nothing more powerful than to focus on truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Any questions? There'll be a quiz on Monday. See, the power of what, what Jesus did was to come down here to be one of us. And the first thing he did upon landing was he walked not to the, the leading schools of the prophets. He did not go to the, the leading rabbinical schools throughout Israel. No, he went into the highways and byways. He went into the ghettos and the barrios. He went into the bad part of town. He went to the lake found two guys fighting. Lech Acharai. Powerful, isn't it? What he said. Lech Acharai. Can you say that? Lech. You got to throw some phlegm into it. Lech Acharai. Come. Lech. Come. Acharai. Follow me. You're learning some Hebrew at church today. Lech Acharai. Come. Follow me. These two guys were kicked out of rabbinical school. These, these men were not examples of, of good behavior and decorum. There were two others that he called that day. They were called the sons of thunder. And it sounds very similar to a, a, another similar term today, and it means the same thing. These guys were terrible. They were the sons of thunder. And Jesus said, Lech, acharai. He goes into downtown Jerusalem and there's a publican, a tax collector who skimmed off the top and made himself wealthy. Jesus said, Lech, acharai. His name was Matthew. We call him Saint Matthew now. Brother was not always a saint. He was a known public embezzler, stole millions of dollars of his own people's money, had to travel around with his own soldiers to stay alive. Jesus did not come to call good people. He only calls sinners. 
I hope that gives you hope. He came to confront what? The fear in our lives. There's no reason to be afraid. He did not come to placate us. He came to save us. You see, his masterpieces were stolen. He came to ransom us back. And so the power of the story is, as he lived this life of servanthood, if you want to be great, be a servant. Why are you calling me master? I came to serve, not to be served. Remember that. We emulate him. He did not come to tell us what to do. He came to walk with us, to talk with us, to tell us that we are his own. You see, he did not come to be greater. He came to be one of us. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And then the time came that he was taken under arrest on trumped up charges. As if it were a, 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 an, have you, have you, do you like auctions? They kind of make me nervous, especially if I really want the item really bad. Somebody's going to outbid me and I only have this much money. And, and it's, it's scary going to an auction because who's going to win? Now, eBay is another way. You wait to the last 30 seconds, the last 15 seconds, then you hit send. And you, and you do it in a, a strange number that nobody will pass you up. And it's too late. You got it. <laughs> got the item for $26. And, and, and everybody expected it to be, but I put $26.29. Everybody else put $26.10. They, they go by increments of five. Do the, uh, the weird numbers and watch what happens. But this, this imagine in an auction. Because a ransom, the price is always going up. And every time the thieves know you have the cash, they'll find whatever reason to raise the price. And no one knew, not even in heaven, the angels did not know what the price would be. All they knew was that God's only son was coming here to pay the ransom. And so our story really takes a turn when it comes early Friday morning, they had been beating him up over at the high priest's house, at Ananias' house, Caiaphas leading the court. The Bible tells us they were plucking beard with their bare hands, and they were punching him with the closed fists. Jesus was swollen, black-eyed, and bloodied by the time he was brought tied, bound to the presence of Pilate, the federal judge the protectorate leader, the governor of that segment of the country. Now, Pilate was from Spain. The one time I'm not proud a Latino shows up. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. He was from Spain. He'd been decorated in many battles. Dude was smart politically, too. He, he married Claudia. Claudia was the Caesar's stepdaughter. So he knew if he married into the family... He could marry into the politics and score some positions. And sure enough, his wedding present as he married, uh, my son-in-law will now receive the royal gift. He will be governor of Judea. Oh, nobody, I mean, everybody was relieved it wasn't them because nobody wanted to be governor of Judea. The Jewish faith was so strict, those people complained for everything. And they had zealot movements and fought against the Romans all the time. And you could have it. Pilate didn't know this. He was happy. 
He got over to Israel and immediately angered the Israelis by setting up two eagles made of silver. Immediately there was an outcry. How could he bring idols to the holy city of Jerusalem? And so there was a complaint sent to to Caesar say, you know, your man is offending us. We're going to raise up an army and fight you guys. Oh, no, 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 no. He apologized and reprimanded Pilate. Take down your eagles. Then on another occasion, he found out that this guy named Barabbas, a, a, a guerrilla leader, was leading an insurrection up north in Galilee. So he sent Roman soldiers up. And while they were worshiping in the temple, there was a slaughter of men, women and children. And they were able to capture Barabbas. That's why the scriptures say he freely mixed blood with sacrifice in the temple of God. In Galilee. So Pilate did whatever was necessary to quell rebellion. And now Barabbas, is, this, this guerrilla leader, was in chains in a prison in, in Jerusalem. And now Jesus is brought before him. But by then, the second complaint had gone back to Rome. Pilate killed a lot of innocent people. And that's when Caesar said, If you anger these people one more time, We're talking about the end of a political career. You will be fired. Yes, sir. That's Caesar. Caesar was God on earth. And it was was his father-in-law at the same time. What a bad combination. You don't want God to be your father-in-law. Not if he lives in Rome. I mean, the Roman government was known for its brutality. And their deity was very brutal. So Pilate was afraid to anger the Jewish community anymore. He was their governor. They hated him. Unfortunately, he was the only thing that stood in the way of getting rid of Jesus. So they brought him Friday morning. And, and he, it's really early. He's upset. This better be good. What? This man is messing things up all over the place. And then... Pilate questioned him. He interviewed him, which was the tradition in a court. And and he says, I've interviewed him before you. I find no fault in him. What is that in today's language? He is innocent. If a federal judge downtown declares you innocent, what is the logical next step? Bailiff, take off the handcuffs, let the man go. That is a federal court's obligation. You get declared innocent, you get released. I have found no fault in him. But, but you can't release this man. All over Galilee. Oh, Galilee, Galilee. Herod's in town. He oversees Galilee. That's another protectorate. Send him to Herod. Oh, and over the protest. Now Jesus is being escorted over to Herod's court across the city. They happen to both be in Jerusalem. It was Passover week. Very important. The Seder was to be celebrated that night. It's important that on the feast that all come together. So Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the same time. And so Herod, when he heard Jesus was coming, was very excited. He had loved John the Baptist and felt terrible about cutting off his head. And because Jesus and, and John the Baptist were cousins, they had this family resemblance. You know, they both had the green eyes and the beard kind of went a certain way. You know, the family thing. And, and so, so now he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. And he says, everybody sit down. We're going to have a magic show. And he tells Jesus, do one miracle, man. I'll let you go. Uh, 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 your Highness, but if you do that, the people will be, I don't care if people are angry. His dad is the one who had killed all babies two years and under. Do you think he cared about public opinion? 
Herod wasn't Pilate wanting to climb the political ladder. Herod was happy to stay there the rest of his life killing people. He liked this. And so Herod said, do one miracle and I'll let you go. And Jesus just stood there like this, bloodied, swollen, battered. He just stood there. Do one miracle and I'll let you go. Come on. I heard that you, that you, you healed sick people. I heard that you cast out demons. I've heard that you, you, you did everything. Do one right here, right here. Come on, man. You, come, you had this pain in your back. Straight. Come on, heal him and you can leave. And Jesus just stood there. You know why Jesus didn't do it? He didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. He kept his eyes on the prize. He didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have turned stones into bread. He could have done anything to take care of himself. But he didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. And finally, Herod became desperate. Do something. One trick. And Jesus just stood there. Now, Herod had learned, leave these guys alone. Before his wife or his stepdaughter come around. No, no, no. Get him out of here. Because he was afraid of these people now. He knew that the Lord was upon them. He said, I don't, get, get Jesus out of here. And poor Pilate, there comes Jesus back to him again. Oh, and, and the, the whole crowd was growing now. They said, we took him to Pilate, but he wouldn't rule on it. Oh, you guys, and then this is when Pilate said, I found no fault in him. And as you can see, Herod found no fault in him and sent him back. So how many times is he innocent now? Twice. And so now, I'm telling you right now, he has done nothing worthy of death. I find no fault in him. How many times now? Three. So... As he realized the crowd was getting big and everybody was mad, and he knows if his father-in-law hears that they're angry at him, this time he's going to lose his job. And he says, all right, uh, the strangest thing for a man who's been declared innocent in a federal court three times, I'm going to have him beaten and then released. 40 minus 1 is the sentence. Now think about this. 40 stripes was enough to kill a man. 40 minus 1 was to take you to the door of death without letting you enter in. And the whip that the Roman soldiers used was about this long, had a handle and about 10 strings of leather, and little pieces of rusty metal and glass were interwoven throughout so that they would tie the, the victim to a post and remove all of their clothing. Then the soldier would go in a sideways motion and pull. So each whipping would either batter the muscle and bloody it, or as they pulled, would slice into subcutaneous tissue. Then it was 39 of those. As Jesus stood quietly, the soldier actually became tired, would have to kind of take a break as he continued to whip him. And Jesus just quietly, Without complaining, with, without opening his mouth, because he saw us in his mind's eye. He did not come to save himself. You see, the auction was underway. The price was climbing. Even the holy angels did not know what the price would be. They just knew he was coming to ransom the masterpieces. But nobody imagined just how far this would go. Even the devil 
did not realize just how high the price was going. And as Jesus was being bitten, I have an incredible article. It, it was written by three pathologists out of Harvard University as if they had performed the autopsy on the body of Jesus. And they use clinical terms, they have sketches, and they took all the data, historical and biblical, and they formed an autopsy report of what happened to Jesus. And it's very, very, for those who are into te- uh, the, the science and medicine, very fascinating, very heartbreaking reading. When you read what Jesus went through, as those whip, that whipping concluded, you can actually see ribs physically showing in the open air. The, the victim lost large quantities of blood. Victim would go into shock. And that's when Pilate said, all right, well, what are you guys doing? We're almost done. And they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. And then one of the soldiers went to Pilate's closet and got one of his purple royal robes and hailed to the king. And now they bowed before him. And then another soldier put a bag over his head and another one grabbed a stick and hit him in the head. Prophesy! Who hit you? They were laughing. They thought it was funny as the price continued to climb in the auction for the destiny of humanity. You see, brothers and sisters, by then they brought him back to Pilate. Jesus was almost dead. He could hardly stand. What have you guys done? You gave the order. This is standard procedure. You said to beat him. This is what we do when the order is given. Pilate himself was stunned. Bring out Barabbas. You see, he's thinking... I see something in this man. It's different. And they're going to see it because everybody hated Barabbas. He was a great guerrilla leader, fought for Israel, but he was not a beloved leader. He was a hated leader. And they brought out Barabbas with his chains and unrepentant. And people can name which relatives had died at the hands of Barabbas. And now Pilate had them both there. This distraught, broken Jesus who's barely clinging to life in a very healthy, angry, evil Barabbas. Who should I release? The tradition is every Passover, we release one prisoner to the people in good faith and in good will gesture. And they all, as if they rehearsed, released to us and, and, and Pilate was ready for Jesus. Barabbas! What? What do we do with Jesus? Crucify him! Crucify him. Now the mob was into thousands of people. Crucify. But what, what evil has he done? What was this done wrong? Crucify him. But I, I've examined him before. Crucify him. Okay. All right. Take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. How many times now? Number four. Innocent declaration of federal court. And, and, and the, the, the leader said, we're not supposed to. It's Passover. We have to be clean this week. But by our laws, he should die because he made himself out to be the son of God. <gasps> Come back here. And he took Jesus back behind the curtains. Who are you? Who are you? Don't you know I have the power to release you or to kill you? Who are you? Please, who are you? And finally, Jesus, in his only attempt to reach Pilate, says, you, you, you would not have this authority over me unless it were given to you from above. From above. Then you are 
the Son of God. He brought him back out. Excuse me. Now he's calling him sir now. This way, sir. Please stay right there. Be careful. Stand right there. I've made a decision. Now he's already declared him for the cross to the, the leadership there. I'm going to release him. The first recorded nuclear explosion occurred in downtown Jerusalem that Friday morning. What? You cannot release this man. This man is an, a divider of the people. This man is an insurrectionist. This man, you cannot possibly. But why? And then suddenly a servant comes running. Excuse me, sir. A letter from your wife. What a time to be receiving my mail. It's important, sir. He reads it. I've suffered many things because of this man in a dream. Have nothing to do with this man. He is the Son of God. That means He is the Son of God. Why? But He's done nothing wrong. I find no fault in Him. How many times now? Five. And so the people, it's exploding. I'm just going to release Him. You guys just have to get over it. Deal with it. I'm the governor here. And finally, a very smart man, a wise leader of the Sanhedrin said, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. To be an enemy of Caesar was the death penalty. So we're not talking about his job anymore. He's talking about his life. Father-in-law will have him executed if he's an enemy of Caesar. And that is the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And he did the strangest thing. Bring me some water. And you could see in his fear... He's trying to feel clean. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. And turning to the soldiers, take him, crucify him, for I find no fault in him. How many times? Six times declared innocent. They grabbed him. When you gave the order to soldiers, the scripture said, cursed is he that hangs from a tree because not even the worst of the worst Romans would be crucified. Only the enemies and outsiders and foreigners were crucified. It was so debasing. It was so evil. It was so horrible. It was such torture that it was considered only for the worst. Cursed is he that hangs from a tree. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Our sins were placed upon him. He came to ransom the masterpieces and the price was climbing. Even the devil began to be confused. Just how far is he going to take this? Because he just wants to torture him and get him to give up. All right, I give up. I give up. I'm going home. But Jesus was thinking of us. He did not come to save himself. He quickly fell under the weight of the cross. They brutalized him. They brutalized him. They picked him up, put the cross back on him and forced him to drag it as best he could. He fell the second time and they brutalized him, forced him back to his feet. And on the third time that he fell at the base of that hill, he wasn't going to move. No matter how much they abused him, he was dying. He, he could not get up anymore. Some strong guy who was looking over what was going on. You, you got shoulders. Get over here. I'm just traveling through town. Get over here. And he carried the cross of Christ. Would that we have the honor 
of carrying the cross of Christ. Don't ever complain about your trials when you get to carry a cross of Jesus. Take up your cross and follow Him. Don't complain. Be like James chapter 1 verse 2. Have joy when you fall into trial. Don't complain. Take up your cross and follow Him. They get to the top and the other two thieves, they, 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 oh, he kicked me. Hold him down. And they're pounding nails into him. Now they turn to grab Jesus. He was already voluntarily lying on his own cross. Even the soldiers paused. But orders are orders. So they nailed him and they raised the cross up. And now the auction was reaching levels that the angels of heaven were horrified. They wanted to rescue him. But God had to hold them back. No, he wanted it this way. We must wait for a little while. His disciples, horrified, ran for their lives. Only John, the young one, was there with the women, all these outcasts that Jesus saved, right there at his feet. Sisters stuck with him through thick and thin. The men ran for their lives. Remember that, gentlemen. Sisters stick to things through thick and thin. You get discouraged, go find a sister to pray with. She'll get you there. She may have her own pain, her own weakness, but she will share with you the gift God has given because sisters have a gift of sticking with Him through thick and thin. A family's falling apart, but it's mama who keeps the family together. You know what I'm talking about? Because sisters find a way to stick it, stick to it through thick and thin, no matter how bad it is. When my brother's murdered, the person who kept my family together was my mom. She lost her son, but she's comforting us. It should be the other way around. We should have been comforting her. And now Jesus is on the cross. Now remember after he died, a, a, a soldier pierced his side with a, a spear. And blood came out because of the wound. But water came out. You know why? Because the lungs begin to fill with fluid as you go into congestive heart failure. The heart is unable to keep up the blood pressure. And the patient, the, the, the victim, begins to lose their blood pressure. And the circulation starts to slow down. And, and fluid, because the heart's right here, begin, instead of distributing with the blood around the body, starts gathering in the lungs. And so when they hung him up on a cross, he could not breathe. The victim had to push up on the nails. And, oh, oh, oh. And then, and then fall again onto the weight of the nails. And then, and then they'd have to push up again. And if they hadn't died by the end of that day, they would break their legs so they couldn't pull themselves back up. And they would drown in their own body fluids. So Jesus was on the cross and the auction reached the highest level. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Going once. It is finished. It is finished. Going twice. Into your hands. I commit, I commit, I, I, I commit, I commit, sold sold to the highest bidder he paid the price but for the first time in the history of the universe the ransom from masterpieces required the death of the master himself 
That's why the Apostle Paul exclaimed in Corinthians, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He bought his masterpieces back. We belong to him. Who wants to go home? But it was a dark Friday evening. As the sun was setting, the death of the Creator caused the very planet He created to shudder and tremble. Saturday was the longest day of their lives, but Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen, just like He said. The angel tells the women who went to the tomb. The men were all hidden and worried about their lives up in the upper room. And when Mary came to tell them, I just, I thought he was the gardener, but it was him. I just talked to him. He's alive. Sweetheart, we're all grieving. We're, no, 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 you guys. I saw him. Do not be afraid. He's alive. That's what Easter is. He paid the price. He's alive. The Greeks told Paul and the other apostles, how can you guys preach that your God died? Oh no, he died, but he rose again. He's alive. This is Easter weekend. You and I are a masterpiece. We are servants of the master of peace. Did you catch that? You and I are a masterpiece. We are servants of the master of peace. I'm going to put that on my Facebook, so don't throw it on yet. He is coming. He's bought us back. This world is not my home. I'm going home. How about you all? This is Easter, folks. Don't forget, he bought us back. Even the devil was horrified. He didn't think it would go this far. He realized he lost. Fair and square. You don't mess with Jesus when he sets his mind on stuff. My mother was in L.A., as I conclude here, giving birth to Pablito, the fourth of her sons. And baby was being born breech. This is 1961. Breach was a bad situation back then with less technology and less capacity to deal with it. And she heard only silence as she experienced the worst pain she's ever had in her whole life. Sisters only understand these things. She says she felt herself falling into a hole. A deep, dark chasm. And she could hear the doctor's voices and nurses getting further and further away in that delivery suite. She realized she was dying. And then she says she thought of her little boys, Gerardito, Luisito, Josecito, that's me. And she said, she grabbed the handles that were there. She she sat up, I'm not going to die. And the doctor said, okay, okay, cancel the code blue. Yes, Mrs. Rojas, we believe you. Now, settle down, sweetheart. And of course, my little brother did not make it. Pablito died. But my mama lived. 
to have two more children and to raise us. And we still have her. She thought of her children and lived just a little longer. Jesus thought of his children and gave his life. This is Easter. We are his masterpieces. We are made in his image. We once were lost, but now we're found. Any questions? Do you have any doubts? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So be it. Fulfill your promise, O Lord, in us. And so come, Lord Jesus. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.